Yes, we're starting a new series called Before Christmas, and it's going to ramp us up from today right till the Christmas Eve service at Candlelight. So don't miss a thing, because we're going to cover a lot and uh, cover the story of the reason why we are here. Okay? So it's going to be very exciting for myself and for Pastor Matt as we go through and uh, look at the Bible and from start to start to end, basically. Because I think we sometimes look at the Bible and go, yeah, it's a bu bunch of books with different stories of different characters. But so lots of times I don't think we see the bigger picture. That it actually is one story with one purpose and it takes us from start to end. The other th side of that is the ending is already, we already know. The ending is Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a look at how New Testament and Old Testament all points to the coming of Christ. And uh, how he is the actual foundation of our faith. And that this thing that we're going to celebrate in a month is the reason that the entire Bible was written. Sometimes we can miss things like the Old Testament because it gets very story-ish, talks about characters. But I challenge you, in the next couple weeks, take the time and see if you can see Christ in these stories. Okay? Now, in the beginning, and Pastor Matt, let me start in Genesis, and the first person who asked me what it was like back then, I will uh, pray for you. But, uh, let's get the ball rolling. Chapter 1. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, you're going to get the Darren Grimes edit, and it's going to be very quick. We're going to focus on a few things along the way. Um, so, God started with light. And then he created the sky and the water in it. Then he made dry land, followed by filling the sky with lights, created animals, the birds, the fish in the sea, the animals on the ground, and all was good. And God made the pinnacle of his creation. Now some may argue that, but we'll get into it. He made the pinnacle of his creation because he made us in his image. So Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says, Then God said, Let us be human beings, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the livestock. All the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all of the animals that scurry along the ground. What does it mean? Created us in his image. A lot of people talk that we look as he proposed in his image, and yet he made us male and female. But God, if his image is us, I think God, lots of times, we have to look at him as well. And he is unseen. He is spiritual. He is our moral guide, our compass. He is 
all-powerful. And most of these things are non-material. So I sometimes think that one of the things we have to focus on is that when we talk about being made in the image of God, it's our intellect, our spirituality, our emotions, and that we can connect with God in that way. In that, as far as he was designed, or as far as he designed us, we were supposed to mentally and spiritually take command of the world. And that sets us apart from the rest of creation. Man was given great responsibility in this. And great power. But guess what? We're man. And we mishandle it sometimes. In Genesis 3, we talk about that mismanagement. Genesis 3. Now this is going to be a long... A long little bit of scripture, so stick with me. The serpent was shrewdest of, of all of the wild animals and the Lord God that the Lord God made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not to allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced and saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted, to, wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. They suddenly felt shame, shame of their nakedness. They also, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord. God among trees. The Lord called, called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten, the tr eaten from the tree of whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman. You gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the God, Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, all the domestic animals and the wild ones. You crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, he will strike your head, and, I will strike, and you will strike at his heel. 
Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in the pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule, rule over you. And the man said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to, struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from dust, and dust you will return. God gave first man and first woman one rule, and they messed that up. Big time. There was the tree of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they could have eaten from any fruit, but they were deceived. God said, stay away from that one. But the devil tempted them. The woman resists, but ultimately gives in, promptly followed by the man who appears to be standing beside her. So what happens? Let's unpack the consequences. We often refer to God as cursing all of creation and humanity. Well, in the truth, the idea of God cursing things plays into the idea that God, that it's God's judgment and it's cruel. But we need to understand the blessings and curse. It's kind of like a car, a, a can opener. The blessing is, if you use it right, it works, and it is a blessing. Misuse it, and it can bring death, especially in the car. Not so much in the can opener. But that is the point. God has set out a prescribed way for us to live. And as long as we follow that life, as he prescribed, he uh, will give us blessings. But another way to think about it is not God doesn't curse man. We misuse the blessings and we curse ourselves. So what are the consequences? Childbirth is painful. Not that I'd have to experience that. But I'm sure there's a few people, I might look like it, but anyway, there's a few people in here who can attest to how painful it is. The ground will, not, will grow weeds along with the crop and it will be hard to do that. There'll be an animosity between humans and snakes. How many people love snakes? Not me. There are curses, but they're not limited just to men and women. Every childbirth has been painful, no matter who the woman is. Every crop has been hard work, and a man must tend it to get out a meager living. And that's for Timmy. Our sin is not our own when we are born. That sin comes from Adam and Eve. So basically, sin has consequences, not just for us, but for generations. We call it generational sin. This is where 
the idea you can pass your sin along to our generation to our kids generationally it comes from we are still wrestling with adam and eve's sin so why do we think sin won't be passed on to our kids that one sin passed from adam and eve all the way to us We cannot beat sin on our own. See, sin is actually a bigger problem than we often give it credit for. Now, this is something that I'm going to refer back to um, because we've had this discussion on Wednesday nights in in our deep dives. We've had this talk about how sin can be different. Some is little sin, some are big sins. We had, and we'll get into the whole discussion because it's been about three weeks now that we've been discussing sin in this way. But the one thing we have to kind of remember is Adam and Eve, all they did was eat a fruit they were told not to. It wasn't murder. It wasn't adultery. They ate from a fruit. So when we look at our sins in our lives, we got to remember that that sin goes on down the line, generationally. Yes, it is horrible to do some of the horrible things we're commanded not to. But sin has consequences, all sin. And that's why... We are all born with this sin nature that we need God to help us with that. In ancient law, when a child was born to a slave, the child belonged to its owner. And at any point the slave was set free or earned his freedom, if he came into into being a slave as a single man, when he left, when he got out of slavery, his wife and his kids stayed with the owner because they were still property. So that's the rule of being a slave. That we can sometimes get out of slavery, but we leave behind. When the first man and woman ate the fruit, they were enslaved to sin. They disobeyed God and became slaves to sin. And that sin was passed on. In Exodus 21, it says, these are the regulations you must present to Israel. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve for no more than six years. Set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. If he was single when he became your slave, he shall relieve single. But if he was married before his, he became a slave, then his wife will be freed with him. If his master gave him a wife while he was enslaved and they had sons and daughters, they on, only the man will be free on the seventh year. This, but the slave may declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I do not want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then the master must haul him to the door 
for a doorpost and publicly pierced his ear with an awl. After that, the slave will serve his master for life. I look at that as a massive foreshadowing of how we live our lives. We came into slavery on our own. And we brought in our, our story. And we may get out of there, but we need help. The help is actually changing masters. The point I want you to take away from this message is that sin is a big deal. It's not a small thing. In fact, it is such a big problem that humanity is incapable of dealing with it on our own. We, as the pinnacle of God's creation, imbued with his likeness and image, have to have help. We have to use his authority over our lives. We have no solution for the problem of sin. It is something we carry through from generations and generations from Adam and Eve. It so easily entangles us and weighs us down because it is so easy and appealing at the moment. What we're going to see through the Old Testament, through this series, is how many times God, people wrestle with this along the way. We have example after example. And where we have biblical knowledge of people taking the time or the effort to do this themselves, and they try and they try and they try and they fail. And every solution they come up with just doesn't work. But ultimately, also makes it worse. We are going to see God being mostly patient with us. And I swear, every day, please forgive me, because I know every day I fail. I fail him. Now, how many of us would stand in a group of friends and have those friends fail us every single day and still choose to have patience, kindness, and forgiveness? And the worst part of what we do with God is that we throw it back in his face constantly. Oh, that's just a little sin. Oh, I'm choosing not to uh, tell the complete truth because it makes me look bad. So we're constantly doing this. Right from the beginning, from when the fall happened, the stage was set for the solution. That solution is Christ. Slavery leads to death. Redemption requires a price. And you can look to the scripture I quoted from Exodus about the slave. There's a price to pay. Six years labor, if you're a Hebrew. 
And the other price is you have to walk out without your wife or your kids. So there is a price to pay. Redemption only comes one way. And that's God needs to intervene. Uh, Romans 10, 9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's kind of the answer to sin. But it's something we have to do on a daily. That is something that we're not good at doing this every day. We take our sin, we hide our sin, and we only seek redemption lots of times when we're caught. Or our life has fallen apart. But there is a solution to this. Freedom comes from your heart and believing with your mouth that Lord Jesus has overcome our sin. If you want today to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, or maybe you haven't believed it in your heart, maybe you did and you've lost it. It's gone away. The evidence has drifted from your life. No matter where you are today, let's make things right. You don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. You can be free and truly discover what life is meant to be. That whole blessings. We want his blessing. There's a price. The price is not driving the car the way we're not supposed to because we do that all the time. So everyone in the house and online, pray this prayer with me, please. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I believe that you died to take away my sin. I believe that you have raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, I declare before you, Lord of my life. And I follow you for the rest of my days. If you have prayed that for the first time, or you've made a recommitment today, don't keep it a secret. In fact, we have a gift for you. Come see me, and we will share something with you. If everything you need is started new and exciting journey for today, salvation is the thing that will get you through life in a way that God designed us to be. It's your daily commitment to encourage yourself and to find a mentor to help encourage you to live this life. So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today so grateful for your Son that we may have a path outside of, of sin. Lord, you have designed this life in a perfect way so that it may be blessed and that we may find the joy 
of what it is to follow in your footsteps. Lord, today we prayed that we want you in our lives, that we commit to you. Help each and every one of us as we go through our lives, through our days from now on, to remember that, to run from sin, and to have you as Lord and commander of our lives. Lord, we are called to be not slaves of sin, but slaves to you. And that's through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.